Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You've just described most people's pantry, where it's full of stuff that you bought back in like 2006, where you're like, oh, that'd be fun to make someday. Like, I'll do that. And then we're just never in the mood. I've got a number of films on there that are to do with documentaries about animals, which I sometimes enjoy, but it probably says that I like to think of myself as probably enjoying those things than I actually do. Like, yeah, if you're relying on immediacy as a big part of the purchase decision, is there ways of making the immediacy more fun? So Colin, I wanted to start off today by telling you about one of my favorite experiments in academic marketing. Okay. Is that like how to eat Cocoa Pops without getting all of the chocolate dribbled down you? That is exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've spent a lot of time in the academy working on what we call the dribble problem. Um, cereal eating. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big issue. Yeah. I, and it's particularly when it's when it's Cocoa Pops because it's no, all exactly. chocolatey and it just yeah. gets everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all we got for you this week. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I don't know how we recover from that. Yeah. I didn't expect to go there anyway. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, it's not a it's not a study about eating cereal, chocolatey cereal, Colin. Uh, we can talk about right. that next week. Uh, now, this is uh, it was conducted by a guy named uh, Itamar Simonson, who's a, a professor at Stanford, and it was a very very clever experiment. So what he did is he took uh, classrooms full of students. So I think he was teaching two different classrooms, and he, he was was going to give them snacks for class. So one group. For three weeks, every week at the beginning of class, he'd say, okay, what snack do you want? And um, he had a selection of, I don't know, four or five different snacks, M&Ms and crisps. Um, see how I translated that into British for you? <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. As opposed to chips. Which As opposed are... to chips, yeah, which are yeah. something different. But you, you get the idea. A couple yeah. of, of snacks. Um, and so people would write down their choice and then they'd get their, their snack option. The other classroom, he said, hey, I'm going to give you guys snacks for the next three weeks. Uh, but in order to know what to buy, you need to make all of your selections now so that I can sure. make sure to, to buy for subsequent weeks. So they made their three choices, and then they got their first week's choice immediately. And then the next week, they got what they'd chosen at time one. And then the third week, they again got what they'd chosen at time one. And so what he was interested in, in looking across these two conditions, was how much variety people had in their selections. And okay. what he found was there was significantly more variety for the people who made the choice at time one for the next three weeks than there was for the people who made three separate decisions, each for an immediate snack. So right. in other words, if you were in, in one of these conditions and I said, what do you want for the next three weeks? You would say, well, today I'm going to have M&Ms, but you know, next week I'll have 
Cheez-Its yeah, yeah. and the week so three. The more variety, have. the longer out you're exactly. looking. Exactly. Whereas if I asked you every week, you'd go, I'll have M&Ms today. And then next week you'd say, you know what, I'm going to have M&Ms again. And the next week you'd say, you know what, I'm going to have M&Ms again. So what he found was that people who are making um, what's called an intertemporal choice, in other words, a choice for some point in the future, a choice across time, they had different preferences than people who are making a series of immediate choices over time. And I love the fact that it's called intertemporal. I can't even say it. Whatever it is that you said. Intertemporal. Intertemporal. Yes. (laughs) Can't even say the bloody thing. Intertemporal choices. Because that's, again, just such a wonderful marketing phrase, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it sort of trips off the tongue, don't you think? Exactly. Yeah, no, uh, a lot of, of what we do is gatekeep. And if we choose <laughs> terms that normal people can't even say, yeah, then absolutely. that clearly marks us off as being super smart PhDs. We've made some progress, mate, because you've actually gave me a backhanded comment there by, by saying that I was a normal person. Yeah, yeah. So. no, I meant it in a bad way. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's totally right. We order some ready meals, a thing called all plants, okay? So it's um, it's all vegetarian, etc. But they come frozen, okay? And we get this list of things, that, and we order it every month. And every month, we've still got the same things left at the end, yeah. <laughs> end of the month because we've gone... I particularly like their uh, vegetarian lasagna or their vegetarian shepherd's pie. And I go, yeah, I love, I love one. And then by the end of the month, we've still got some of the noodles left because I didn't really want those in the first place. But I thought I would because it would mix it up a bit. But actually, the reality is, is I have the same bloody thing all the all the time. I love that. You, you've actually experienced what this hypothetical yes. experiment was. Yeah, no, it, you've just described most people's pantry where it's full of stuff that you bought back in like 2006, where you're like, oh, that'd be fun to make someday. Like, I'll do that. And then we're just never in the mood and we tend to eat a lot of the very similar things. Uh, Another example uh, that I love was back in the day when Netflix was still sending out physical DVDs, you would need to do a similar process where you'd go on their website and you'd create a, a movie queue. It's like, oh, I'd like to watch this and I'd like to watch this. And then when you sent one in, they'd send one back. I was on a, a program where we could have two movies simultaneously. And so they'd send me two and then I'd send one back after I watched it. And then they'd send me one to replace it. There were a couple of times where I was sending back one movie over and over again. And the second movie just sat on top of my TV for weeks because and, and usually it was like an aspirational movie. Like, Oh, this is a heady documentary about something. Or this is like a, a highbrow drama about world war one. Like I'll want to watch that. And I was never in the mood for it. So I, I had the same intertemporal choice phenomenon where at the time it was like, this is something I, I should watch. And then it would come around and I just never. And I'm glad you said that because this, this feels like it's a bit of a cathartic experience now. Because in my Netflix, my list channels, I have loads of films that I've bookmarked to watch. And they've been there for about three or four years. And, uh, and I keep thinking, 
Now that that actually would be good for me to watch. That. Yes, I should do that. But I but I never get round to. It happens with books too all the time, where people will buy a book, going, "Oh, this is really. I should read this. This would be yeah. good." And then it'll just sit on your shelf or on your bookstand for you know, months, and you never get around. To it. Correct me if I'm wrong, as as I was doing my due diligence looking into this, there was also, do you want to tell people about the marshmallow test as well? Sure. So this one um, has gotten pretty famous. The early versions of it, they've run a number of, of different versions of this over time, but the early versions of it, they'd take young kids, so three, four, five years old, and the experimenter, usually then the guise of a teacher, would say, okay, so here's a marshmallow. And I'm going to leave this here and I'm going to leave the room. Now, don't eat it, right? I'm going to come back. And if, if when I come back, you haven't eaten it, then I'll give you two marshmallows. Yeah, You can't eat it. What happens a lot of times is the kid will break down and eat the marshmallow because they, they have this like immediacy bias where they can't sure. see far enough in the future. As a quick aside, um, when I was a graduate student through the hospital system where my daughter was born, the psychologists who worked at, at my university contacted us, not because I was a grad student, but because we'd had a child. And they said, you know, we work in this developmental psychology lab. Would you mind if we ran some experiments on your kid? And I was like, well, yeah, that's great. So we brought her in and, and they, it's really great. They were super kind. And it was essentially just our daughter playing games. She ended up loving it. It was fun. But they ran the marshmallow test on her. And so I got to see that behind a one-way mirror where they said, okay, so here's this thing. Their version was they gave her kind of a wrapped gift. And they're like, okay, there's something really exciting in here. She can't open it yet. And then they left the room and um, started the timer to see how long it would be until she um, would open the gift. And my wife and I were on the other side of the glass. And we were like, uh, you might as well go back in the room. She's never going to open that thing. Like she's, she's the most conscientious child. And they're like, no, usually it takes a couple of minutes. And we're like, all right, we'll wait. Um, and finally the clock ran out and they just went back in. She never... <laughs> Like you told her not to open it, so she's not going to open it. But yes, yeah, so that's another version of this kind of intertemporal choice. Do you want something lesser but more immediate or something more longer term that might have a, a larger overall benefit from you? Yeah, so, so that was what it started making me think around, which was the, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's instant gratification versus long-term benefits or... Yes. But as I started to think about it, I might, one of my first ever jobs back in the day was I used to work for um, Mars Confectionery, Mars Candy. Yeah. My job was as a salesperson going around to these small outlets. And the, the idea was that you were trying to increase the range of the Mars candy bars, et cetera. Yeah. That these small outlets would, would have. And one of the stats that always sticks in my mind is that 70%, and this was a few years ago, and that's all I'm going to say, 70% of confectionery sales were based on impulse, yeah, which is obviously the reason why they have them by the checkout and all that type of stuff. But I guess the point is, it's so I guess it's that exact thing, isn't it, is I'm having this instant gratification of buying it, the fact that I know that I shouldn't buy it and, it, you know, it's going to cause... not one bar but you know if i if i do this all the time it's going to cause me problems with for weight and health and everything else in the distance is is an irrelevance as it were yeah yeah so 
there, there's all these interesting intertemporal choice phenomena where we we do things now that we regret later or that we make different choices now than we would make later if we were in a different spot. One of the, the things that ties all these things through together is, interestingly enough, our sense of self, like kind of how we define ourselves. And so one of the interesting phenomena that's been identified is the fact that when we think of ourselves as people, think of ourselves as ourselves, we tend to, to think of ourselves as a different person in the future or in the past as we are now. And so when, when I'm making a decision to whether to cheat on my diet or not, I know that the benefits of that decision are going to accrue to like future Ryan. And I think of future Ryan as kind of being a different person than present sure. Ryan. That's interesting, actually, because doesn't that go back to... Doesn't that go back to the like the Netflix library? Yes. So if I think of my Netflix library or my my list, I've got a number of films on there that are to do with documentaries about animals, which I sometimes enjoy, but it probably says that I like to think of myself as probably enjoying those things than I actually do. Yes. I'm actually more into Star Wars than and science fiction than doing something that's educational that's good for me. But I like to think that I'm that person that Yes. Yeah. So so one of the ways we think about our future selves is through a very aspirational lens, right? Yeah. Like I'm not in the mood for a, a documentary right now. But future me will be much more interested in improving himself. It's the same reason we cheat on our diets, right? It's not that we've decided we're no longer interested in losing weight and so that we don't need to worry about it anymore. It's that future Ryan is going to be much more diligent, right? Future Ryan I can rely on to exercise more to make up for this and to stick to the diet so this won't be a big deal. Yeah. Ryan, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? Uh, I saw an old Vincent Price movie called House of the Long Shadows when I was a kid, and it kept me awake for days. And if you want to be kept awake for days, the one that scared me the most was the Intuitive Customer podcast that's now available on YouTube. It's really oh, scary. I, I want to change my answer. That's actually the scariest thing I've seen, too. <laughs> Absolutely. So... If you are interested in getting scared and watching Ryan and I attempt to do a podcast on YouTube, then just search for the Intuitive Customer Podcast on YouTube and subscribe, won't you? We look forward to seeing you there. Take a step back and just sort of summarize what you said at the beginning, which is if you offer people some choice at the beginning, they tend to choose the same thing. What do you want out of this list? You tend to choose the same thing day, day after day. And when I think about it again, I don't know about you, but I have the same breakfast every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I very rarely change the breakfast that I have. When I think about my my shopping, okay, then we tend to have the same food every day. And that's not a complaint as my wife who does most of the cooking. But the we tend to have the same type of food all the time as well. Or, or, or each week, put it that way, not necessarily yeah. every day. 
but you've got to offer. So I could argue on one side of it with that in mind, I should just turn around and not even give you a choice. Just tell you that these are the ones that you ordered yesterday, all of these, but that would feel, that would feel too limiting. Yeah. People uh, like so, so you, I like a choice, but actually when given a choice, I'm only going to, uh, oh, what I actually do is only buy the, the smaller amount or the, the same thing, should I say. But actually, if you spread the choice over too long, then the danger is, is that people are going to end up ordering things that they don't ever, don't ever use. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So in terms of the practical implications of this or understanding how this will affect people, recognize that the distance between choice and consumption is going to affect that consumption and how people evaluate it. So if I'm having you make a bunch of immediate choices versus if I'm having you make longer term choices, we can expect you to behave differently. So on average, if we're having you make choices for the future, we can expect you'll be more variety seeking in in terms of how you make those choices. And that has important implications. So you can see these frozen noodles stack up in your freezer up to a point And then you'll just decide it's time to cancel the service because clearly you're not using it uh, in the way that it needs to be used or it's a waste of money. So, you know, you can accommodate that variety seeking up front, but recognize that that could have longer term negative consequences for you. Another implication is that you can anticipate that people, like if, if this is more of an aspirational purchase, something that's kind of good for me, is there a way to get people to make that well in advance? Because they'll be more in a frame of mind to do that. If this is not an aspirational purchase, if it is more about kind of immediate gains, then those types of decisions will be best made immediately. Right? This is this is our impulse buy. Sure. So here's one that I've I've often thought about, uh, and I'd be interested to gain your opinion on. Do you remember in the a few up until a few years ago? When you used to fly, you used to get that magazine Sky Mall. Sky Mall, yeah. Yeah, which I'm sure the listener will remember, but it was basically like a a list of a catalogue. Stuff you don't need is what Yeah, stuff you don't need. But I I always found it really interesting because I used to pick it up and think, oh, this looks good. And, And I used to look through all of these things. But it was the classic stuff of you'd buy something and then you'd never bloody use it, or it never worked in the way that you thought it was going to, or you never did as much as you. And recently, the same applies with, I found myself looking at some of the lightning offers on Prime, Amazon Prime, yeah? And last time it was on, I can't remember what it was, there was a couple of things I bought, one of which was to cover the backseat of my car, because I've Sometimes uh, look after a dog, as you can, you would have heard. But I've never used the bloody thing. So I, I, there's something, therefore, there must be that that must be applying to sort of the instant gratification part of I'm buying something, but not thinking about um, the long term benefits. So I, I did a research project with a, at the time she was a PhD student. We looked at um, people's use of wish lists. And, and using shopping biscuits as kind of temporary holding places for items. And 
what was interesting is that people tended to kind of segregate out the the benefits and the costs. And so when you buy something like that, you kind of are considering the benefits a lot of times, but then later when you get it, the costs tend to be pretty salient. So, and I'm not just talking about monetary costs. So you bought this like seat cover, right? You could see the benefits of it. Like, oh, this will keep my back seat clean. And and then it gets to your house and now you realize, oh, I've, oh, I've actually got to like clean the back seat first. And then I've got to figure out how it attaches to the car seat. And then I've got to deal with, and do I leave it on then when I have human passengers in the seat or do I need to take back? Like now the costs to you. Of I guess, actually, I guess it depends how, how dirty the, the, the human passengers are really. Isn't it? You hang out with a lot of dirty people. And so then it might, that might be good to just leave it on. Right? Um, <laughs> But the hassle costs of actually using it start to become salient. You realize like, oh, this is something. And so future you realizes you don't actually want to hassle with this, even though past you thought this would be a really good idea. And I, I think that, like, so one of the things we found in this research is that when you use a wish list or something else, then when you go back to the wish list, you actually focus a lot more on the costs and it makes you less likely to buy it overall. So the interesting bit then becomes if you're talking about the difference between the future you and the you that you are today, it made me start to think about our favorite topic of segmentation Mm -hmm. because those two things could be different. Oh, that's a really interesting take on that. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you segmenting for and which segment would you get into? If you were marketing animal shows or books or whatever it is, then I could be in one segment, which is, yes, I would buy them. But the reality is I'd never actually look at them or read them. Yeah. But that could appeal to me. But actually, if you if you gave me a choice, yeah. The instant gratification would be watching something to do with Star Wars rather than David Attenborough in the Antarctic. It's a great question. So there are certain things where not consuming them later is a problem. So if you've got this uh, subscription service and you're watching the stuff stack up in your freezer, not getting eaten, that then becomes a difficulty, right? And at some point, there's going to be pressure to to cancel the service. There are other things, though, where like the non-consumption of them is less of a problem. So I don't know anybody who's big into books, who buys a lot of books, and then a lot of those books never get read. I don't know a lot of those people who ultimately regret those purchases. (laughs) They seem to be very happy that they're still on their bookshelves and that they have that opportunity. They could go back to it whenever they want to. So that would be one distinction I would make is like, is it actually a problem that future customer is different than present customer? For some things it will be, for some things it won't be. It will be less of a problem. The other distinction that I would make is like, yeah, if you're relying on the immediacy as a big part of the purchase decision, is there ways of making the immediacy more fun? So are there settings in which watching that? Because, you know, I'm the same way. Like I, I hardly ever turn on a nature documentary, but like sometimes my wife will put them on for the kids. And if ever I'm walking through the room, I sit down and watch the whole thing because they're fascinating. They're really pleasurable but it's not something that I seek out. So are there ways of kind of reducing that initial 
hurdle in the, the now. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are things that you can do to increase the, there are more things it feels that you could do to increase the impulse nature of things, can't you, by reducing the prices, two for one offers, you know, even loyalty schemes, that type of thing, I would have thought that you would you would be able to increase that impulse nature of things using the loss aversion we're only going to hold it at this price for the next two hours or something like that that you know makes you buy things quicker and i guess the other side of it would be appealing to the longer view of the person wouldn't it and even even appealing to even doing i could see some advertising around is your life boring? Do you eat the same breakfast every day? Why not try this? But that then goes back into, I remember the debates that we've had about how you change customers' habits, which is always one of the most difficult things, isn't it? How do you knock somebody out of having the same breakfast day in, day out, basically? Yes. So getting people to buy the new breakfast at the grocery store as something they will try in the future for breakfast, that's an easier thing to do yeah. because I'm, I'm not eating the breakfast in the grocery store, especially if it's like, hey, start off your, your mornings differently. Like, you know, over the next month, you could try this instead. Like that, well, yeah, over the next month, I'm sure that I'd be interested in trying that at some point. Sure. But yeah, like getting people to actually change it the morning of, uh, that requires understanding habits and the ways of changing them and too much to get into in the final final moments of this episode but we can point people to other episodes where we've talked about them but i think that does just quickly i think that does point to an interesting thing which is sort of a bit like customer journeys so there's one thing which is going so the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get the customer to engage and buy it i.e let's just carry on talking about breakfast for the moment First of all, the problem is getting them to buy it. Yes. The second thing to do is getting them to consume it. Okay. Yeah. And therefore, what is it you can do along that customer journey to get them to consume it? Is it an adverts on television? Is it that in that promotion you've done, you've you've gained some type of contact details and you've done something, said something that would that would jog them to do it? I, I I don't know. It depends on the product or service, I guess. Yeah, but that's that's the right approach. Like, can you turn this long-term decision into a short-term decision? You know? yeah. So like, if I'm watching advertisements in the, the morning before I'm getting ready for the day, that might trigger like, oh, right, I have that new breakfast item that I could try. If part of your appeal is, hey, buy this now and like, try it tonight when you get home. You'll, you'll you'll see then that in the mornings it'll be a great option. Or even if it's some type of redemption voucher after yeah. you've consumed it or something like that. Isn't or it? a, a short expiration window, right? Yes. If you want something that's going to expire in two days, then you know you yes. need to eat it right now or you're going to have to throw it away and that yes. can incentivize. Yes, interesting. If you could go back and tell your colleagues that calling these things something, you know, a bit more, uh, rather than intertemporal, what was it again? Intertemporal choice. Intertemporal choice. That would be handy. I could go back and tell my colleagues, Colin, but intertemporal choice does not mean time travel. So I can't actually <laughs> go back and rename it. Um, that's different. That's a different area of study. Okay, good. 
All right. We hope that's been of use uh, to you today. We look forward to talking to you next week, everybody. Thanks very much for listening. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.